Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we talk about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. My name is Jeff Bruce. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm joined by my dad and fellow pastor, John Bruce. Dad, how you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah? Doing good. Small cold, but from spending uh, Friday on the Bay, but... Uh, you think that's what did it? I don't know. I don't know. Do you all, have the... all I know is I got a cold. Yeah. <laughs> might be corona, might not. I know it's not corona. Okay. Dad, do the warriors have a prayer after last night? Well, everybody has a prayer. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's remains to be seen how they do at home. I I these have been very close games and they've basically given both of them away with their sloppy play. So I have hope. If they just clean up their clean up their act and get home, they can draw even, and then it's anybody's game after that. Yeah. Well, I would I wouldn't be surprised if they they lose it, and I wouldn't be surprised if they win it. Dad, that is not a good sports talk take. Just to let you know, because then <laughs> you feel vindicated no matter what you say after true, that. True. True. So I would be disappointed if they got eliminated. Yeah. Okay. Well. Thank you. I have nothing to add. Um, Today, we continue our series. In fact, we finish our series entitled Dirty Deeds. Series is based on Romans 8.13, where Paul says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul says we come into the Christian life with deeply ingrained habits. The habits reside in our bodies, and we must identify these deeds, these patterns that live within us, and then crucify them. And it's an urgent matter, Paul says. We have to kill them or they will kill us. And so we're trying to identify the habits, to mortify, that's the old English term, to mortify those bad habits. And until we do that, we can't develop good habits, because as Aquinas said, only a habit can overcome a habit. So we've looked at a bunch of dirty deeds, Dad, bad habits of the Christian life, um, today we're going to wrap up the series, and I don't know exactly what you want to do. This was your idea, <laughs> so I've got some thoughts and directions, but in essence, correct me if I'm wrong, but we want to talk about how practically do you put a deed to death? Yeah. What are the steps of mortification? Yeah, yeah. And uh, where do you want to begin with that? Well, I think, first of all, just to understand that it sanctification and changing our habits is active rather than passive. And I, I made the mistake for years of just whenever I would see a sin in my life, I would pray that God would re- remove it because I had the idea that only God can conquer my sins and therefore he needed to do it. So I would pay, pray that God would remove different sins for years and nothing much happened. And I began, as I read the scripture, began to see that it's, it's a partnership between God and me. And Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, for I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. And so what Paul is saying is that God's grace and power does not negate our effort, but in fact that his grace fuels our effort, but we have to make the effort, and trusting in God will give us the power to pull it off. So it's work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who is at work within you, both the work and the will, his good pleasure. So it's really realizing that this is a, a, a partnership between us and God. So I would say that the first thing 
in putting our deeds to death, you have to believe what the Bible says is true of you. Um, you have to believe that what the Bible says happened to you when you came to Christ actually happened, and it's true. That's what Romans 6 is all about. Um, and so uh, Romans 6, to kind of review, it says that when we came to Christ, the old me died, and a new me was raised. And that new me is now free from sin and in, in union with Christ. And so I now have the power to do what I could not do before I came to Christ. I just need to use that power. And so Paul says in, in Romans 6, even so consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And by dead to sin, he doesn't mean dead to sin's voice, because we'll always hear sin's voice as long as we're in this body, which is indwelt with sin. He means dead to sin's authority. Sin can no longer compel us to obey. We can say no. And so it's, it's really important that I get that firmly in my mind. I, I would recommend to people that, to memorize Romans 6, because that will, that will really sh- change your view of yourself and of, of this battle. That point you made about union with Christ, I think, is key. That we are who we are because of our union with Jesus. So it is, um, it is not an identity we can find by looking within ourselves. Uh, it, even the idea of identity is so psychologized and individualized in our culture. Yeah. Uh, and we're so obsessed with whatever is going on in me. Yeah. Um, the Bible would say who you are is based on your union with Christ. Right. Uh, that little phrase, in Christ, shows up so many times in Paul's letters and throughout the, the New Testament. And once you see it, you'll see it everywhere. And the point is, it's not about how you feel at any given time. It's not about how you think. You have an objective union with Christ where God sees you within the life of his son. Your life is hidden in Christ. You have a legal bond to Christ, a familial bond to Christ, such that what is true of him is now true of you The life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God. In fact, it is not you who live, it is Christ who lives in you. Exactly. That's union with Christ. So if you feel hopeless, um, you have to look at Jesus and who he is and his victory and his power, and that's the only way you'll ever be confident uh, that you can actually overcome these things in your life because you are not sufficient in yourself. Yeah. No, it's getting to where Paul was. Is just, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this physical body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul says that we live our life today on earth in this body by faith in the Christ who lives in me and gives me the direction, the power, the resources, everything I need to live a life pleasing to him. And so that, I think that's the first step. You've got to see yourself no longer as the person you used to be, but as a brand new creation who has been made adequate for everything God calls you to. Yeah, and, and the life within you, that true life, is, is who you will be forever. And in a sense, it's, it's breaking into the present. And that is the dominant reality in your life. That's going to be the enduring thing about you. Sin yeah. is a transient thing that's going to fade. Yeah. Uh, but this is the enduring life. So right. you, are a, you are a saint who happens to sin and, and to fall into sin. You are not uh, a hopeless sinner exactly. who happens to have the status of a saint. The, exactly. the dominant eternal reality in your yeah. life 
yeah. is your sainthood, your union with Jesus, exactly. your, your set-apartness. Yeah, yeah. No, God didn't just kind of paint over me with Jesus' righteousness, mm-hmm. you know, as and but did not change the essential me. But when he saved me, he saved me. Right. He really saved me. He made me a brand new person, the person I'm going to be for all eternity. And now I'm experiencing the first fruits of that in, in a desire to walk with him, a desire to uh, not be content in this world. All these little signs we see, and the more we we believe that, the more signs we see of that new life in us. Yeah. So perhaps a pr- practical step then would be to identify the voices in your head that say otherwise. Yeah, yeah. That talk about your sin in terms of you. Yeah. This is who I am. This is who I am. Not, that's not who Jesus is. Yeah, exactly. So So that's not who I am yeah. at a fundamental level. Yeah. And I think just really spending time in the, in the New Testament, all the passages that tell you who you really are. Right. And so you be, that begins to become a habit of thought that you, I see myself in Christ, I see Christ in me, and I trust him to live through me. Mm-hmm. So then the, the next thing after that, and, and this again is from Romans 6, he says, even so consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And so Paul gets down to reality. He says, sin is still in your mortal body, and it hasn't changed. Even though you've changed, sin hasn't changed, and sin is still trying to reign. And so I have to refuse to allow sin to reign um, in me. And so what I find is helpful along that way is, is to identify the triggers. What does sin use to tempt me, to get me, and stay as far away from those triggers as I can. I think when Paul says, flee youthful lust, he's saying, you don't, you don't conquer sin by getting as close to it as you can. And then resisting. And then resisting. You, you conquer sin by staying as far away from it as you can. So therefore, whatever the sin is, I need to identify, when am I at my weakest? How does sin work in my life? How does it deceive me? And begin to take the active steps to put that to death. That's good. What about, because there's obvious examples of that, right? Yeah. Like if you're a drug addict, obviously you're not going to keep a little bit of heroin in the glove compartment. Just, just in on, case, just to, yeah. Just, well, no, just to exercise self-control, you yeah. know, just to, you know, and, yeah. and obviously um, putting limits around tech and stuff if you struggle with lust and there's kind of substance abuse issues. There's clear things you can do to separate right. from the thing. But there's more pernicious uh, issues like, okay, anger. If I'm overcome by anger in my life, if the trigger is other people, you can't just remove other people from your life. Like, what, what, what do you have to stay away from? What do you have to flee in those times? Uh, obviously, there's times to fight against sin. There's times to flee sin. Um, well, yeah, I think it's a good point. It's not people. I'm asking because I'm an angry man, Dad, <laughs> and I need you to fix this for me right now. Okay. okay. So I think this is where. Realize Jesus said that the the thing that corrupts us is not come from without, Mm -hmm. but it comes from within, out of our hearts. And so our heart and our thoughts is what really causes us to sin. So I have to identify what happens in my heart that makes me angry, and how do I bring that thought or that impulse, that lie out in the light so that I, whenever it starts speaking to me, I have a counter for, no, that's not what's true. Here's what's true. 
in this case. So, for example, I, when I start to feel fearful, for example, I have to go back to say, God is in control. He's always worked everything out for my best interest, even though at the time sometimes it didn't feel like it, that when I get to heaven, I'll be glad everything that happened happened. Right. So relax. Don't, don't be proud and think you can control your life. But humble yourself to the mighty hand of the Lord, and he, after you suffered for little, he himself will strengthen you. Yeah. So just having, just what Jesus did, he, Satan would tempt him with something, and Jesus would say, it is written, mm-hmm. and be able to answer that. Yeah, I think that's the mental side. You need to identify the thoughts of, yeah. you know, and they're, they're not often verbalized, but they're just there as, as sort of mixed with your feelings. Yeah. You know, I'm... I'm working so hard and I'm not appreciated. Yeah. I'm blah blah blah. Yeah. This is unjust. This is whatever. And stop the thinking um, because that's where the enemy is suggesting. I think with a thing like anger, though, it's not just a state of mind, it's a state of body. And so the triggers can be, you know, shortness of breath, a clenched jaw, things like that. That's my sign that I'm entering a state and I have to actually repent, turn from that state of body to get myself out of anger, right? And that just means stopping, right? Whatever I'm doing and just being stop, reflect, why am I angry, breathe, and don't try to do anything while I'm in that state, Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Start talking to God and slow myself down. And I think that's that one of the reasons we rush into sin is because we, we, we get into a state of body and a state of mind and we're so habituated to moving then toward the next thing we're going to do, which is a destructive thing, yeah. that we don't even realize, oh, wait, this is what's happening. Okay, God, I'm going to talk to you about it right now. I'm going to yeah. stop. I'm going to slow down. You know, and as Greg says, you know, feel what I feel, but don't do anything about it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the key in that moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, we rush into sin because we rush into everything. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it, you know, he who hurries with his feet sins. As right. Proverbs says, and and so when I'm in a hurry, that's one of my keys to know that I'm that I'm in the flesh and not in the spirit. If when I'm in a hurry, or I'm angry, or I'm fearful, it, it shows me I have now shifted into the flesh, and I'm running the show here rather than trusting Christ. Yeah, and all of those are works of the flesh and works of pride because the yeah. the hurriedness of things means unless I am general manager of the universe right now, things will not work out. Yeah. And, and, and so for some people, that is anxiety is the feeling. For some people, it's anger. Yeah. But in each of those cases, often the hurriedness is a sense that if I don't get these things done right now, if I don't this, that, 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 that things are going to fall apart. Yeah, yeah. And that's a lie. And, and, and the best way to repent of that is just to slow down. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, it's just facing the truth, just mm-hmm. saying, okay, here's what's happening to me. Here's what's true. Yeah. And, and uh, so stop. And, yeah. And submit myself to Christ again. Yeah. Yeah. The, those are sort of long-term things. I guess a lot of those are situational though. Like the thing comes up and you have to repent of it. It's like that seems very reactive. Yeah. Right? Like what's what's the proactive plan for putting a deed to death? Right? Not just like I know the battle's going to come and then I'm going to fight, right? But but how do I over the long haul, retrain myself in how to do this so that it loses its grip on me. Does that I, make sense? That yeah, difference? I do. I think I go back to Hebrews eleven six. Yeah. Uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe two things: mm-hmm. that he is, and he's a rewarder for mm-hmm. those who seek him. And so, if I'm sinning, 
it's because I'm seeking a reward from sin that I should be looking to for God. So I want to know what is motivating me toward this sin. Right. What what is what am I trying to to achieve? What do I think I can gain through this sin that I should be trusting God for? Yeah. And I think for me that's been a big thing. So when I when I went to war against procrastination in my life and I memorized all the proverbs on diligence and hard work and all these things, I had it took me months but I retrained my, had to retrain my mind in terms of how I looked at work, that work is not a bad thing, that work is actually a positive thing. Yeah. It brings me joy when I do it, rather than something to avoid or get done with as fast as I can. But my reward changed, and so my behavior changed. Yeah, that's really good. So, yeah, memorizing scriptures related to that yeah. is, a, is a huge proactive step. Exactly. What? Yeah, you have to get the reward clearly in mind that God wants you to have what you want to have, but he's got a different path to it. Yeah. That's and, good. And so you have to. So that that would be another thing. I think then it's just what you say no to and what you say yes to. And and both of those are equally important. That that walking with Christ is not just saying no to things, but it's also saying yes to things. And that's why Paul says, therefore do not let sin reign in your body that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's saying no to sin, but also saying yes to righteousness, saying yes to what God wants us to do. And you can't just avoid sin. It's got to be, there's a positive side. I've got to step out in faith and do the kinds of things that God calls me to do. Yeah. That's, let's talk about that, because that's, that's key, and I think it's something that's missed in this, right, is that, um, and you've talked about this, but it's fasting and feasting, and mm-hmm. I think if putting deeds to death is just fasting from things, yeah, nature abhors a vacuum, and if it's just, I have to get rid of this bad behavior, unless you replace it with a good behavior, unless you live into the thing that's actually the joyful life that God is calling you to, you're going to just find another bad behavior. You're going exactly. to find another sin to, 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 to replace that one. Exactly. And, and so the example I, you know, that my mentor gave me was, you know, when you're hungry, you know, there's, there's two ways to eat, right? <laughs> and you, stuff that'll help your body or hurt your body, but you're always going to be hungry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he talked about going by a, an ice cream place that just, you know, you know, it's probably Cold Stone or something, just like the most calorie-laden things, and he, and he wanted it so bad, and he said no. Mm. And the next day, they'd had a great breakfast that morning, and he walked by the same place, he just said, man, nothing seems uh, more unattractive right now than after being full from this great healthy meal to go just, you know, <laughs> eat a 3,000-calorie milkshake or something like yeah. that. And yeah. I think that's a great um, image of... Um, the, one of the keys to being free from from destructive uh, behaviors yeah. is you have to find the positive behavior that gives you life. Exactly. And I think that brings out a point that it, saying no to sin saves you from the despair and the pain of sin. Right. But it doesn't necessarily give you joy. Right. It, it, it spares you from the things that will take you to those dark places. But that positive obedience and doing what God calls us to do is what brings you joy. Yes. 
And so you can't be a, you can't be halfway sanctified and just not do anything wrong because that's, dead people do that. Yeah. And uh, you know they're not you know they're not particularly happy. I think, but uh, but it's it is it is embracing Christ's will for your life and and walking with Him into fullness of life and being useful and giving your life for others and doing all the kind of things he did that actually give you the joy. Yeah. And, and you look at, there's a few biblical examples, you know, I think of Ephesians 4, where Paul, he, he talks about uh, opposites and, you know, he'll, he'll talk about, you know, putting off deceit and then speaking truth, yeah. right? And yeah. then, you know, not letting the sun going on your anger, but then seeking reconciliation, right? you know, right. let the thief no longer steal, but instead let him be generous, right? right. So there's this there's this balancing between every, uh, you know, I think Calvin said about the Ten Commandments that every negation implies its opposite, so that huh. it, it's not just negating the bad behavior, but it's a positive vision in the other direction. Yeah. Here's the thing to, to yeah. do yeah. instead. So, I mean, practically, here's a few thoughts on, on how you do that, right? So if you start with lust, one of the problems is that you're captured by a vision, right? And 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 the vision is, is, is kind of taking over your mind in yeah. a sense and yeah. playing in the tapes. You need to be captured by a better vision. Yeah. And so really practically a way to do that, like here's something that I like to ask guys who are really struggling with lust. Like, is it is it harder to lust when you're out in nature and seeing beauty? Yeah. And almost inevitably the answer is yes. Why? Because you're captured by something beautiful and transcendent, and it's really hard to just linger on an image that you've been thinking about or, or a visual when you have something, when you're, when you're in the book of nature and yeah. looking at that instead and looking at a better vision, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, if you're craving affirmation and acceptance and intimacy, uh, well, you're probably alone. And, 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 and uh, you know, acting out on lust is a great way to get those things. Well, if you're in an intimate community with people you know and love, do you have those same urges that no, you don't? And so there, there's a few behaviors you need to start um, incorporating into your life regularly yeah. Yeah. To, to just fill your mind with the kinds of things you're actually craving yeah. and your life and your heart. And it, it, it crowds out the ability for those other things, yeah. I guess. To, yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, but, yeah. but that would be uh, yeah. just an example of that. Yeah. No, when you cut out the junk food, you still have to eat. Right, and, uh, and, so, and here's the good food. Yeah, here's over the here. good food that will satisfy you. Exactly, and it's the same practice, whatever the area. Right. So, I I think that's that's great. I I think too um, when he says yield your members, yield the members of your body, it gets back to what we've been saying all along. Our members are controlled by habits, mm -hmm. and so yielding your members is really a long term practice of doing the right thing. And the first time you do it, it will not feel natural. It will just, it will feel awkward. And just like the first time we do anything that's difficult, feels awkward and we don't know how to do it. But the more you do it, the more it becomes natural. And so that's why I think disciplining yourself for godliness, practicing righteousness is, is so key in this area. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it's not just Oh, I sinned in this area. Okay, I need to repent and do this. But it's no, it's it's practice. What am I going to practice here in order to make this less and less of a temptation? Yeah, it's good. So, I think that's about all I know. That's about all you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought maybe a helpful way to just tie a bow on the series yeah. would be we've we've mentioned John Owen's book, The Mortification of Sin, right? 
which, you know, because he's a Puritan, he wrote a, whatever, 800-page book on uh, Romans 8.13, you know, yeah, just, uh, yeah. <laughs> how do you do this? You know, here's, I don't think it's 800 pages, but it's hundreds of pages of... Uh, uh, it's actually a pretty short book. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know what that reveals, Dad? What? That I haven't read it. Yeah. But <laughs> I know how to use the internet to find summaries of things. So yeah. thank you, uh, Grant Gaines, who wrote an article <laughs> uh, summarizing Owen's book. Yeah, it's not, no, I know it's not terribly long, but... Uh, um, just a few points here that I think are, are just gold um, in, in terms of how do you mortify a sin. Uh, first is to diagnose sin's severity. Mm. So you have to see how devastating this thing is, or yeah. you won't kill it. So um, any sort of making excuses, justifying sinful behavior, uh, the problem with that is it'll lead to a hardened heart or conscience. Mm-hmm. And so Owen really talks about that. Um Grasping sin's serious consequences is the next step, saying that it grieves the Holy Spirit, wounds the Lord Jesus. It can cause you to lose your usefulness in ministry, uh, losing peace. And obviously, uh, we're supposed to examine ourselves in the faith. So hardened, unrepentant sin over time could be an evidence that you're not in the faith at all. And so just just not trifling with this thing. Um, Third, and I think Christians can struggle with this one, but it's very important. Be convinced of your guilt. Um, and by guilt, that, that sin against the law makes you guilty before God. And now we know what, what to do with guilt. We, Jesus took the guilt. But until you're convinced by the law that you are a lawbreaker, uh, you will not seek the remedy of right. Jesus, and right. you won't flee to the cross for right. forgiveness. So um, the next is to earnestly desire deliverance. And I think what that means is, do I really want to be free from this, or do I just want to be free from the consequences of yeah. this thing? Yeah. You know, if I could do this thing without the nasty consequences, uh, I'd do it. I'd do it, right? Well, then you need to look deeper into your yeah. heart to see yeah. what's really going on. Yeah. Um, the next one, this is interesting, consider the relationship between your sins and your natural temperament. Uh, and he mm. says there are natural dispositions. Uh, it doesn't make you less guilty, but that when you know yourself, you kind of know the areas where more self-discipline is probably yeah. necessary. Yeah. So, so for me, my natural temperament is to talk all the time. That means sins of the tongue are always going to be yeah. a thing I have to, yeah. to deal with, right? More than passivity in conversation or right. things like that. I'm, right. I'm more likely to say too much than to say too little. And right. so that would be one for me. Um, avoid occasions that incite sin. We've talked about that. Uh, address sin's first signs is another one that he says. And I think that's, that's really important to, to know that when, when you see sin creeping up, know the, 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 the flashing indicators on the dashboard yeah. so you're dealing with it then. Um, meditate on God's glory, which is, uh, yeah, just the more you think about the majesty and greatness of God, uh, the more unattractive your sin will seem. Uh, This is an interesting one. Uh, Don't rush to comfort yourself. Right, right. Is one of the things he says. And it's a form of of caution. Um, It says, sin is deceitful. It can trick us into thinking we've dealt with it decisively when we have not. Yeah. and so there's a sort of false consolation of repenting too lightly of something. Uh, and, and so we seek comfort in Christ, but I don't think that's exactly what he's talking about. I think what he's saying is, I'm fine, I won't do it again. That kind of mentality. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know that if you've talked to an addict, right? That it says, no, 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 that was the last time it really was. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. well, if it was really the last time, that means you are going to radically separate yourself from yeah. those substances, yeah. from the people who lured you into that, 
you're going to seek community where you're going to get support for that. There's just things you know that repentance is going to look like. And if it doesn't look like those things, you are rushing to give yourself a false assurance or comfort that you've really dealt with this thing yeah. when, you, when you haven't. So I just thought those steps, a uh, lot, of, lot of wisdom and scripture behind that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. No, I remember, I remember reading those, and, and Owens makes a big thing of, see your, your sin, first of all, in light of the law. Yes. Before you rush to see it in light of the gospel. Yes. Because when you see it in light of the law, you realize that there are no small sins. Yep. And that and that small sins leave in, lead inevitably to what we would call large sins. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so you have to hate that particular sin and not just, and then once you do that, you can go to the gospel of how God has forgiven you of that, but He's also freed you from it, and you need to live in light of that. Yeah, and, and that's so important with repentance because in our age, no one talks about sin, really. What we do talk about is therapy. Yeah. And and understanding self-destructive behaviors through the lens of what's happened to us. Um now all of that can be or much of that can be very valid in terms of understanding why we are the way we are and how our past shapes the way we act. The problem is that that's just diagnosis. It's not even deep enough diagnosis into what's going on in our hearts. It doesn't give a prognosis of what to do, and it leaves out the law as a diagnosis of our behavior as well. So if all of my negative behaviors are rooted in past trauma, hurt, these things then the only thing I need is sort of healing and self-acceptance to move on. Yeah, yeah. And repentance is completely put aside. And I think that's one of the great dangers of false comfort in our age, is that we don't define sin according to God's law in Scripture and say, regardless of how culpable I think I am for that action, if I'm committing that action, it's a violation of God's law, and it's something to turn from. Yeah. And I need that objective standard as the kind of the cold water and clarity that, no, I need to turn from that. Otherwise, I can get into a very kind of vague, confused idea about my own sinfulness. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, therapy has a wrong goal. And and uh, therapy is, yeah, you did this wrong thing, but we don't want you to feel bad about so, yourself. So, so, some therapy has a wrong so, goal. So here's how, here's how you Just can... Just vouching for the Christian therapists out there. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> well... I've, Vouching uh, for the good Christian therapists out there who are, yeah. Yeah, but uh, rather than facing how God sees your sin right, and, and that Christ had to die for that sin right, um, for you to be saved. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you cannot see it rightly till you see it through that exactly. lens. Exactly. And that's not the only lens to understand all of your behavior, but it is the, the critical lens for getting free of sin. Yeah. Yeah. So. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. I just don't like anything that excuses sin or gives you a way out, you know, that, oh, I, I, I had this experience, and so therefore I'm, I'm enslaved to this particular sin. And uh, right. uh, anything that gives you a way out other than the grace of Christ is going to lead you in the wrong direction. Yeah, I mean, that, that is the hope, is, is what Jesus brings, and that's where we have to, uh, we have to ultimately 
turn. And uh, we won't start. Uh, we could we could go on and on about about that topic and just how, yeah, yeah. So but we won't. Uh, yeah. So thanks, Dad. I think this has been helpful. I hope Good. it's been helpful to you. We'll start a new podcast coming up. Uh, really looking deep dive into the book of Proverbs and how wise people live according to Proverbs. Proverbs has a ton to say about habits. You and I have probably read Proverbs more than any book in the Bible, so we've got a lot of thoughts about it. And uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Good. And uh, thanks, Dad. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Well, thank you, listeners. We'll uh, hey, we'll talk to you again soon. Really, you'll listen to us. We'll talk at you. But uh, you know, hope you enjoy it. All right. Thanks. Bye.